1: This is the Retirement Ready Podcast with President and Founder Eric Peterson of Peterson Financial Group, Iowa's retirement specialists with an office in West Des Moines. It's time to make sure that you're retirement ready.
0: So Eric, let's have a little fun here and play a little game. I'll put you on my game show for today. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm put you so on what, this...
2: What's the prize bag worth? Uh, I don't know. I'll
0: figure out what <laughs> you're going through. So we'll start all out right. with something here. Now, it could be like when I was in the fifth grade and I had to take quizzes and I was in a Catholic school in the fifth grade and the nuns would whack you on the wrist or the knuckles with the
2: ruler. (laughs) But we won't go there for wrong answers. We'll keep it plain and simple. that's, you know, that actually probably makes you answer better because you don't like the, you know, rewards could be both positive or negative, right? That's very true. The negative rewards sometimes motivate people more. (laughs) Oh,
0: I was motivated not to fail. That's for sure. (laughs) Exactly. I remember that to this day. That was in the fifth grade. That was many moons ago, but I can still recall it vividly. But anyway, let's have some fun here with our multiple choice quiz with Eric Peterson. I'll give you the question and a couple of answers. You let us know what you think here. At what age, Eric, should people start saving for their retirement? A, when you begin working. B, after you've bought your first home. Or C, when you've paid off all your debts.
2: I would try and throw a loop there and say D okay. as soon as possible. But if it only have down to those three, I would choose A, when you start working. The reason why is that's when you're going to start having income coming in. And what you need to do is you need to start thinking of your future self as a, a bill. And you got to pay them just like you pay your other bills. So David Bach, who's a mentor of mine, he's affiliated with the investment advisory firm I work with and a nine times New York Times bestseller. He wrote the book, The Automatic Millionaire and uh, Smart Couples Finish Rich, Smart Women Finish Rich. Great guy, he was big on this. It was called Pay Yourself First. Mm-hmm. So you think when you start working, you got all these people you gotta pay. You gotta pay your rent, you gotta pay utilities, you gotta pay your cell phone, you gotta pay you know, this, that, and the other person. You gotta put yourself in there, okay? You're taking care of those people, you know, making their their companies work and their retirements work great. Right. What about your own? Yep. So you need to set some money aside. So I'd say, if I, those are my three options. I would say, as soon as you start working. But the thing is, too, if you think about this, especially for grandparents out there, if you've got grandchildren, you want to really do something kind of neat for them. Is that just giving them money, you know, at the end of the year or something like that? If they're working a summer job and they have earned income, you can actually contribute to a Roth IRA for them. Okay, because it doesn't matter where the money comes from; just have to have earned income. Right. So think about it, you got a you know sixteen year old you know grandson that maybe worked at the fair or something like that, or detasseling corn or something like that, and he made some wages, reportable wages, and you know you say, okay, whatever you have, I'll match it and put it into a Roth for you. At sixteen years old, you put you know let's say a thousand dollars in a Roth IRA for them; it's going to grow tax deferred for how many years? Let's call <laughs> it fifty. Fifty, yeah, maybe. And then when he pulls it out or they pull it out, it's 100% tax-free. I mean, that could be life-changing type of money. So it's kind of a fun way for for parents or grandparents to help their kids as soon as they start working and earning money is to try to put some weight in a a Roth for them.
0: And I think with a lot of those other options, too, Eric, we tend to get into that, well, I'll get to it, right? Well, you know what? I'm going to do it as soon as I pay off these debts or whatever the case is. So I like your D answer, actually, is that as soon as you can, right, just start now is maybe the best time.
2: Yeah, uh, there's two things that make that make investing successful. Either you have a lot of money or you have a lot of time. Yeah. And so you need to put the power of time on your side, and that's why, you know, young people. My, my son is in the service, and first thing I told him when he uh, – first thing he signed up for was he put 10% of his money into the TSP. Yep. And I said, you got to keep doing that. Even if you get promotions, and you know, adjust a little bit. But you need to put that away now and use that power of compounding on your side because you're so young.
0: Yeah, what was the saying? Uh, it's not timing the market. It's time in the market. Exactly. Yep. So, exactly. I think it was Warren Buffett. I'm not sure. But anyway, on to our next question here for you, Eric. So, good answer. So, we'll give you a a cookie. How's that?
2: Okay. (laughs) Better than the ruler.
0: (laughs) All right. Number two, which of these is the best estimate of how much income you're going to need in your retirement? A, 50% of your income, B, 85% of your income. C, 100% of your income, or D, none of the above?
2: My answer would be D, none of the above, okay. because it shouldn't be based on the income that you're making should be the determining factor. It should be on what does it take for you to maintain your standard of living. So that's what you need. You need 100% of that. You know, If it requires you $3,000 a month to maintain your standard of living, that's to pay all your bills and eat. Right. <laughs> you know? so That's you kind forget of important, put, yeah. Put food in there you know, pay all the bills. And also you got to get retirement. You want to do some fun things. You got to have some vacation in there or at least leisure, that type of stuff. And medical insurance, all that kind of stuff. So you need to figure out what that number is. So let's say for a hypothetical, it's $3,000 a month. Well, $3,000 a month may represent half of what you're making right now. So that's what the answer would be then. All the online tools that people have access to always base it on your current wages because they're assuming you're spending everything that you make. minus what you're contributing to your plans, that kind of stuff. And so they say, hey, you need about 80%. That's kind of a a cocktail napkin approach to retirement planning. You know, If you're making $100,000 now, you're going to need $80,000 in retirement. Well, maybe. There's some people that spend everything they make and then some. There's some people that live way below their means. So it needs to be more expense-focused as opposed to how much I'm making now.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of a general rule of thumb we've heard, right? That 85, I know I've heard that number a lot, 85% of your income, but... Don't you actually spend, or you tell me, but don't a lot of people, retirees, spend maybe more in the first few years of retirement? Because like you said, you want to go out and do things. You want to enjoy it.
2: Right. There's the three stages, we call it. We have the go-go years. Right. We got some slow-go years, and then we got some no-go years. And so in the go-go years are things that you're going to be doing a lot of, you know, first thing on a lot of people's list is all the projects around the house that they didn't have time to do, they want to do.
0: <laughs> the big honeydew list.
2: <laughs> yeah. And getting things ready to what they call age in place. OK, they want to you know, move the laundry to the first floor mm. if they have an upstairs, maybe move that master down all those things to make it easier there. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they have some things they want to do. They want to travel while they have the vitality and the, the physical stamina to do those types of things. And so, yeah, they'll spend a little bit more money in those years, which is why in our planning process, we'll say, OK, you first retire. How much extra do you want for all those things and how many years do you think you'll need that for? And so a lot of people say, hey, for 10 years, let's plan on extra x amount whatever it ends up being but after that i don't think i'll be spending that so put that into the plan and then when they hit these what we call slow go years they are typically spending really what's coming in the door and then of course in the no-go most of the people's calendars are full of uh, visits to the doctor unfortunately so they're not doing a whole lot then right right but so that's why it needs to be more of an expense related type of conversation rather than hey i make a hundred thousand dollars a year i need eighty thousand dollars to live on that's like I said, a cocktail napkin approach. If you're just going to sketch it out real fast, that's an easy way to do it. Back when I first got into this business, that's what they taught us. And so if you need 80000 then you just divide it by .04, which is a 4% withdrawal rate, and that would say, hey, you need $3.2 million saved by retirement. Wow. How does that feel? <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: It seems lofty for depending on where you're at in life, right?
2: Well, it also makes people feel inadequate.
0: Oh, very true, yeah.
2: And so what Wall Street's job and an investment person's job at that stage is to make you feel inadequate so you keep throwing, what, more and more money at it. Yeah. See, I made a big change in my process or my way of thinking when I started working only with retirees. And so what their main concerns are is that, hey, I don't want to get blown up right before I retire. I don't want the market to blow up and I can't retire. And when I'm in retirement, I don't want to have to go back to work just because I ran out of money. You know, so I want to protect what I have. I want to generate income and I want to grow a little bit because I know inflation is going to be there. That's really what they want. It's a lot simpler than current Wall Street firms make you feel. They make you feel always inadequate. So they keep throwing money at them, right? right. They only make money when you give them money. So you need to really have a process that clears the deck, takes away the clutter and focuses on what's really important. How much does it take to live? Where your income sources are? What's the gap in income that you have and how do you fill that gap? And then what are some of the threats that can be there? Things like risk and taxes and longevity, you know, the impact of losing a spouse, all those things. Those are things that we cover in great detail in our retirement readiness review. So if you want to know those numbers, all you got to do is pick up the phone and give us a call at 515-226-1500. The only thing that we ask is you're over 50, have at least $250,000 saved for retirement. So that's you. Do yourself and your spouse and your family a favor and give us a call. 515-226-1500. 515-226-1500.
0: Again, that's the Retirement Readiness Review. 515-226-1500. Your number to call to get started. And get yourself on the appointment calendar. 515-226-1500. Eric and I are playing multiple choice quiz here on Retirement Ready. And I've got a couple more for you here, Eric. Uh, how about this one? This one's pretty easy. This is a softball for you. Which of these do you find that retirees fear the most? A- not leaving enough to their kids, B, running out of money, or C, needing nursing home or long-term care assistance.
2: B and C are sometimes neck and neck, but I would say B is a little more, most people are more concerned with B than C. Yeah. But they're both pretty big. A is not really an issue. I don't know how many people say that. I mean, I have people that say, you know, i like to leave my kids something. Sure. I want to be prudent with my money so there is something left over at the end, but, you know, I've done a lot of things for them. I've given them a lot throughout their years. We got them a college education. My parents didn't leave me anything, so I need it for me first. If there's anything left over, great. If right. not, I need the maximum income for myself. So running out of money is actually, you know, one of the biggest ones. In fact, when ARP did a study, what they found was that people fear running out of money greater than they fear death itself. I can see that, kind of, yeah. Kind of strange. Yeah. <laughs> so we're fearing <laughs> living than dying. But because they just don't want to, you know, no one wants to be a burden to their family. No one exactly, wants to be yeah. the bag lady. No one wants to, you know, end up on the street or something like that. And that's how a lot of times we think of people running out of money as being totally, you know, destitute, living under a bridge. That's no, sorry, the case. But in retirement, you run out of money, you run out of options. So you definitely want to make sure that you have income all years and protect yourself against some of the threats that can cause your income to be evaporated, such as stock market risk or tax risk. You make sure you have those addressed in your plan as well.
0: Well, I got a couple more here, Eric, that I want to fire off at you before we take our next break. So let me hit okay. you with this next question on the quiz. Which of these examples best represents a diversified retirement plan? Now, don't slap me for some of these. I didn't write them. Okay. <laughs> a, the traditional uh, 60-40 split, the mix of 60% stocks and 40% bonds. B, three rental homes in different neighborhoods along with a significant amount of cash in the bank. Or C, Ten to twelve different mutual funds, or finally D, none of the above. Well, That's your of choices. It's,
2: <laughs> it's probably gonna be D. Right. But a lot of people think diversification comes from A. True. You know, or C. You know, I got different mutual funds. My my advisor tells me I'm diversified. And I would say that partially correct. You are diversified if you just define diversification amongst different stocks. So if you had all your stock in one company, let's say you work for Acme Corporation, right? Okay. And so they're the people that make those wonderful products that the Coyote uses that always That's, fail, right? I was right?
0: a kid ready to say, yep, uh-huh.
2: <laughs> and so you're afraid that Acme probably is going to get sued by the Coyotes next to kin because of the faulty products. And so they're going to have a big liability. And so their stock will probably go down, something like that. Anyways, if all your money is in that one stock, that's not diversified, right? Because when you own just one stock, you have all the issues that can affect that stock. Not just normal market conditions, but, you know, what if the CEO gets caught in, you know, doing something in over a weekend, you know? Or what if he gets a DUI or they get a DUI? I can't always say it's a him. What if there's accounting irregularities? There's all kinds of things that can impact a stock on a moment's notice and drive it down, you know, 15 20 30%. Well, if its product it's legislated out of existence or a tariff is placed on it. Right. Okay? So, but diversification you own lots of different stocks. So that's why mutual funds are so attractive and the primary savings vehicle for everyone inside their 401k's and IRAs and that kind of thing because why? For one th- I buy a share of this one company and that company owns hundreds, if not thousands of different companies. So it is diversified inside of there. Okay? And then you have have all kinds of different mutual funds. You have a small cap fund and a large cap fund and a mid cap fund and a foreign fund and uh, an income fund. So that's how you diversify even further from there. But you're not diversifying risk. You're diversifying the risk of one company. You're not diversifying stock market risk because if the stock market goes down, it affects almost all stocks. And so people say, okay, well, that's why I have the bonds. That's why I got a 60-40 mix. Only 60% of my money is in stocks and 40% is in bonds. Yes, but bonds still carry risk. It's just a different risk. It's interest rate risk. But the thing that I see right now is when we take people through our process and we look at their portfolio, I see people coming in with a 60-40 mix, 40% in bonds. Well, actually, it's like 35% bonds and 5% cash and 60% in stocks. But when I look at their what's called an R-squared number, that's a predictability measure that will tell me How correlated their portfolio is to an index, and we use the S and P 500 because that's what everyone knows. So the S and P 500 is 500 stocks, right? It's an all-stock index. Mm -hmm. What I'm seeing is people with a 60-40 mix. Their R squared is a 97, which means that the movement of this index can predict 97% of the returns of their portfolio. Hmm, But the portfolio only has 60% of their money in stocks. 40% of it shouldn't be connected at all because it's in different things. What's been happening for about the last 10 to 15 years is that bonds have been become increasingly more correlated to stocks than they have in the past. Because when you think of bonds, most people own bond mutual funds, a bond fund. And a bond fund has two components that make up its total return. You have the coupons, the income it receives, but you also have the appreciation of the underlying bonds held inside that bond fund. The value of those bonds changes with interest rates. If interest rates go down, the value goes up. If interest rates go up the value goes down so a lot of the total return of a bond fund is coming from that appreciation which as soon as they start raising interest rates will go away it can actually turn negative so it's just risk of different color you haven't diversified your risk away from things that can't lose and things that can lose that's what you really need to get right and so that's why i answered d none of the above There needs to be a different conversation when it comes to what is diversified. You really need to look at diversifying your income and ways that you're going to get the money out to support your lifestyle in retirement.
1: You've been listening to the Retirement Ready Podcast. If you have questions about what you've heard on today's podcast and would like to schedule a complimentary retirement readiness review with Eric Peterson and the team at Peterson Financial Group, call now 515-226-1500 is the number to dial. That's 515-226-1500. They are Iowa's retirement specialists and standing by to help you achieve your financial and retirement goals. Want to ask a question online? Visit the team at askericpeterson.com. Thanks for listening to the Retirement Ready Podcast, making sure that you're retirement ready.